This is Pastor Daniel Stevenson. I'd like to thank you for choosing this podcast by New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. I asked you to engage and listen and reach New Heights in Jesus today.
right, all right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We've got some folks maybe on their way here, so we'll pray for them. We'll pray for the sick and hurting. We've got some folks who are struggling. Um, so pray for, continue to pray for Sherry. She saw the specialist about her shoulder and her neck. Uh, but now they're waiting to get approval from insurance before they can do the next thing. It looks like a good report. It looks like they're going to maybe avoid doing surgery, so that would be really good. But ask you to continue to pray for her and that that will turn out. And then um, pray for Mike. Uh, he was in the emergency room this last week and was uh, diagnosed with two ulcers. So he has two ulcers in his gut. And so uh, pray for him that he will get over. I don't, I don't know. Uh, Oh, but he just posted online that it was hurting him pretty bad. So that's all I really know, and I know the diagnosis. And there are some others as well. There are those in our midst who have health concerns. And so I would say, let us lift one another up in prayer, and uh, and God will heal, and God will lead us and guide us. And this is an important day to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an important day to stand up for what we know is true. And the truth is, it's really about Jesus empowering us to be his his arms, his hands, his feet, and his mouth in this day. So I ask you to just lift one another up and be strong as we do that. We're going to pray now. We'll come back uh, after we are for inspirational moments. have an opportunity to share a testimony, what's been going on, what you've seen in the Word. So be thinking about that today. And then uh, that's just two songs away. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, our awesome God, you are all-powerful, almighty, when there was no intervention to be made for man, when there was no payment for sins, you came in the flesh as God the Son to die on the cross. You have given yourself an eternal witness. Lord, we confess to you that uh, we've made our mistakes. There have been times when we've set aside that eternal witness, when we have not received when we have not believed, when we have not made choices that honor and glorify you, even times after we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when our, our hearts strayed, our minds unfocused, or were on the wrong thing. Lord, we ask you for forgiveness today. As we try to worship you, we need your help. We need your cleansing. We need you to set us upright, to make us strong, so we can lift our voices to praise your holy name. We ask you to take over our service today. We also call out the names of the sick and hurting. There are many. Sometimes some folks are able to do, and you look them in the face, and you just don't know what they're going through. And so, Lord, we are grateful that you are with them, and we are asking you, Lord, to bless them, those who have pushed past barriers to be able to be here today, to bless those who couldn't get past the barriers to be able to be here today. Lord, we pray for Miss Chris, Sister Chris, and, and her faithfulness and helping folks, especially through the life station and the phone service there, uh, and helping people find the resources that they need, and praying with folks and encouraging folks. And yesterday, uh, spilled a boiling hot tea on her arm and her side and hurt herself. And so, Lord, we just ask you to bless her, to heal her, to bring her through. Father, take over this time. Guide lead our service. May everything honor you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I need everyone to stand up and join us. Those
this time.
Alright, I warned you it was coming just two songs away. We're at that moment where you can share a testimony, something that you've seen this week, or something I hope maybe you've read, something in the Word. We're in the middle of our emphasis on study, so I encourage you to read the Bible and write something down, study, decipher, break it down, figure out what God is saying. Maybe you've done that this week and you came ready to share. I'm hoping somebody did. What do you got? Jason. I've got two things. Okay. One. You're an um, overachiever. My friend Alexis is finally back from school. Okay. She came back from the Columbus Children's Ohio, and she is now able to walk without a walker. Yay! Praise the Lord. We were praying for her, especially on Tuesday. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. What else? And I found out that I found out when we came back after um when we came back on Tuesday on to school, I found out that one of my best friends, five month old. Five-month-old brother passed away because there was vanilla cinnamon in the baby food that they were feeding, and he died because of it. And he was allergic to it. Yes. So we're praying for that family. Do you you know their last name? What's his last name? Um, I don't know. Okay, you get that for us, okay? Um, but his name his name is Camlin. The the one that died, or the one that's the Camlin is the one that's um told me. Okay, all right. So pray for Camlin. All right. Maybe you've seen something and want to share something. What do you got? I've got my thumb in a spot, so go ahead. We got the song. All right, we got a song. We're going to hear it back there. It should be put up, Caleb. Yeah, it should be put up. It was our youngest tag team. Understand why we still living for self. We live for our families, for our 
What do you got a word to say about that? So, um, just so I always encourage people, we encourage. Uh, if anybody wants that CD I have that can burn it, I just never know what people need, but that song I've been listening to a lot that's really been, like everybody knows me right now, I call it Tales of a Broken Heart, just for now. Um, just having a lot of sunburned time in my life, but uh, um, when I hear that song, and, and I and I think a lot of songs are inspirational, but when I listen to that song, like I know where it says in First uh, Corinthians chapter three, it says that they'll escape, you know, um, just by just escaping the house on fire, like they just got there by the skin of their teeth, you know, and just escape the flame. And I don't, they're just saying that they can happen. It's not what. Paul was intending, mm -hmm. but it's possible just to escape by the flame. And so the reason I say that is um, this song I don't think is going to escape by the flame because it's eternal encouragement. Um, the word itself is true even today. This came out in 2002, and if there's some 2020 you got that you can show me, I'm not trying to make fun of anyone or anything. What I'm saying is, is that the words are true. It don't matter if it was playing techno with a bongo, could be country, <laughs> could be jazz, I don't care what it is. It's not the rhythm, it's the word. That's right. It doesn't mean, like, there are words today that make us feel good or make us, you know, we need that moment. But if we don't have the eternal word, if we don't have what follows the scriptures, if we don't have that, then literally, I would say, to the test of time, I mean, that's what it is. It, through the past, present, and future today, that word's going to remain. And so what I want to encourage you and what encourages me is I hope you have that. We have that in the Bible first. But if you're listening to something, will it stand the test of time? When you're doing something, will it stand the test of time? You know, is it eternal? So I just want you to just kind of think about your life and how you live it. You know, does it stand the test of time? You know, is it eternal? Will it last forever? So that's just kind of what I want to say. And the other thing I was going to say, I've said this before, is people always used to say this, you know, I'm just moving to the Holy Ghost. And I get it. It's true. We are moving. But you don't always feel God's Spirit. You don't always feel God's presence. You don't always um, have to have a sensation or a buildup. You could be your hardest days. You could be struggling to the point of just where you feel like you're dead inside. You're going to just, you feel dead. But that doesn't mean that God's not there. And so what I've always said, it's not a Holy Ghost movement. We don't need to wait for another revival. It's a movement to the Holy Ghost. God's Spirit's here. Let's move. God's Spirit's here. Let's get up. God's Spirit's here. Let's repent. God's Spirit's here. Let's encourage each other. Amen. The Holy Spirit hasn't gone anywhere today. And if we drift off, it's okay because we do drift off. But God's not drifting. And so we can continue on through His faithfulness to try or to even say remain faithful. So I just encourage you, God is ever present every day of our lives. So continue on with Christ. Amen. It's a good word. Anybody else? Here. <laughs> First of all, I'm going to say thank you, God, for letting us be here again. Hey. And, uh, when I had a situation in the hospital a while back, at Navy Church, uh, I tried to draw near a guy. I had an experience with uh, mortality, and it shook me to my core all the way down. And uh, 
I don't understand it because the first time I went through open heart surgery, I was in peace. But for some reason, maybe it's self-induced, I don't know. Maybe it's just the devil, I don't know. This time it wasn't like that. I tried to make it be that way, but I can't make anything happen. I learned that that day when I couldn't make myself breathe. I'm not, let's say I was bad under the uh, depression, real bad. My brother said that uh, I used to be able to do this and I used to be able to do that. I couldn't do that. God gave me those things. And they're all his gifts. And what we have in our life is a gift. The good and what the world will tell you is bad is a gift from God, an opportunity. That's right. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard. It's impossible to stand alone. And I've done that a lot in my life. Spread along. In fact, I fit into a lot of places because I stood alone. And I didn't have fear. And so I fit into a lot of places that people weren't invented to. The devil loved it. He pretty much had played around with my life and my flesh since I was a kid. At six years old. And uh, recently, in my endeavors to overcome this on my own, I uh, got to thinking about my faith. And I've been safe since I was a little kid. Life beat me up, and uh, I beat myself up. But I was saved when I was six years old. I remember. I found comfort and solace. And a simple prayer my mom taught me. We went to church when I was little. And I don't believe God had anything to do with any of this nonsense that happened to me in my life. For whatever reason, he permitted it to happen. About free will, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I'm just here. You know, and I'm glad to be here. And uh, I want to thank you. I want to thank God for letting you guys come and call on me. I'm just sitting there in my basement in my house. I'm afraid to move. Because I don't want to leave. I've enjoyed it. The last 15, 16 years of my life. Watching my grandchildren grow to be young men. I have nothing to complain about. Absolutely nothing. God has been true to his word. He's given me a home. I free my belly. I have a means to provide for myself and my family. My grandchildren are decent young people. My oldest grandson is leading the Bible study online. His mother is putting through, and that's, by the way, underneath the unthinkable torment of his mother. 
have so much to be grateful for. Amen. Each and every one of us do too. Amen. The next time you face something hard, thank him. Don't ask him for relief. Thank him. Be eager to face it. And uh, be courageous. But most importantly, pull close to the body of Christ. Because there's strength in numbers. Amen. Amen. There's no way you guys do. I'm hurting so bad. Because I always try to play like it's not. You know? Just keep me in your prayers that my faith continues to go to the direction it's happening right now at this moment. Amen. I don't think he's done me. Like you said. You know, they blew me a bowl and, uh, and, uh, I didn't, I couldn't believe what they were saying when they were saying it to me, right? Like basically, that's it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Nothing can do. Now it's going to run its course. And they'll get all in my head and beat me up. I'm going to pull my boots and tie my shoes and suck it up and just. Yeah, ain't there. You can't uh, do this one. Yeah. Ain't no uh, here. Ain't no nothing my flesh I can do. But my God, God, <laughs> something coming in here. And I'm standing here dead breathing, talking to y'all. And uh, God willing, I'll be here on Bible study, and I'll be here for the other events. Instead of pulling away again, I'll pull close. Amen. Hopefully, y'all can keep me in your prayers. And, Together we'll climb out of this hole, man. Um, please check on me. Feel free. Invite all of you. Invite me. Invite you. You have an open invitation at all times to call me, come to my home, wherever you see me. Please pull up on me and talk to me. I want Amen. to talk to you. Maybe we can together go to something and talk to somebody else. You know, we'll see. You know, but, uh, I just want to tell you, our God loves each and every one of us, and He wants us to do the right thing. Live our lives. I like the world we have us right now. In the world, look out and see all this violence and all this misery and suffering. Right now, as we speak, people are being slaughtered in the streets. It's terrible to walk down the street, see death everywhere, decaying houses, people. Values and morality, it's gone. It's, it doesn't exist anymore. It's like it's all about just do it. It's a Nike commercial, man. Come to life. It's reality and it's destroying the whole world. Not just America, the whole world. And we like our songs are life and we need to let it shine. Now last breath. Thanks. Uh, thank you. That was good. Appreciate you. All right. Anybody <clears throat> else have any real quick? Otherwise, we're going to pray and go. And I'll bring this next week. Yes, sir. Um, me and Jason were having a talk in the car about just stuff that's been going on. And one of the things that I came that came up was he wanted to stay home and not do anything. I thought I was like, well, there are days for that. Like when we're out there, there's plenty of days where you can sit home and do nothing. I was like, but 
however we were made to work. I was like, as human beings, since the very beginning of time, we were created to work. And there are days for rest. There is time for rest. But when there's a job that needs to be done, that's what we're here for. That's why God created Adam and Eve, was to tend to the garden. He created them to work. And we were talking, like I said, we were talking back and forth. And he, uh, and I, we got on the topic of games and phones and stuff like that. And I said, it's the same thing. There's nothing wrong with playing on a phone. There's nothing wrong with playing on a game. But it's how you live the rest of your life. Like if you if you want to spend your entire life wasting away on a video game or on a phone, like and not doing the work that God has for you, you're not going to accomplish anything. So we have to remember that there are times for rest. There is time for peace and quiet. But when there's a job to be done, there's a job to be done. And it's up to us to do that job. And it's whatever God calls you to do. It could be any number of things. But whatever that job is that God's calling you to do, that is your job that you need to be doing. Okay, so we're going to pray at this time. And we're going to transition tithe and offer for more worship, children's lessons. It's all coming. So we're excited to be together today. Brother Ron Mack, would you pray for us as we transition? Lord, Father in Heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege and the honor to be here in your house to worship you as a collective body today, Lord. God, I know we're called to praise and worship you every day of our lives, and uh, that should be truly a blessing on our hearts to do so. God, thank you for a uh, full packed house today. It's such an encouragement to see people come together to want to learn from you and to hear from you. Lord, I pray for everybody in this, this building and everybody that should be here that isn't here today. Lord, I pray uh, a blessing upon everybody's hearts. Um, I pray for the people in Ukraine right now and the people in Russia who got some stuff going on. And Lord, I pray that you'll work it out peacefully. Um, and that there will be a de-escalation in conflict. Lord, I pray for uh, the state of this country. I pray for uh, the state of our nation that we could rise up, become unified, and come together and truly serve a risen Savior. Yes. Lord, be with our tithes and offerings. I pray that uh, the money and the, and the time and the, the love and everything that is given, that you would uh, use them to your benefit and to your kingdom's advance, and that we would be good stewards of what you've given us. Help us to praise and worship you. Uh, these last couple songs, I pray that we will see, see and feel a great movement of your Holy Spirit in this body. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
So this message that I'm about to share with you was uh, very challenging for me um, because I, got, I sort of misdirected myself as I was writing the message. And I'll share that with you when we get to that point. I'll show you how I did that. And maybe you'll go, oh, yeah, I see how you could do that. And, um, and if you don't, then you can just sort of laugh at the pastor for getting confused and, and, and then uh, move right on and let the Lord speak to your heart. Okay? So, right away, usually we give a little hoot or a holler or an amen, and if you would do so, we're going to go to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, amen. amen. Come on now. All right, so if you're going to have a little trouble maybe finding the book of Habakkuk, it's one of the minor prophets, okay? So that means that does not mean his message was in any way minor. It means that he didn't say a lot that we have recorded, okay? So you're going to find, if you're looking for it, you're going to find it in the Old Testament, and if you go Matthew which is like the division between the New Testament and the Old Testament, and then you go back, in my Bible it's 18, 19 pages, but you go back through a couple of minor prophets, you'll pass Malachi, Zechariah, a little Haggai's in there, I think, and Zephaniah, and then there he is, Habakkuk. Okay? Now in my Bible, Habakkuk, the whole book is only really three pages. It's a half a page, a page, a page, and a half a page. It's really three pages. And we're going to get the vast majority of the message of that book today in a way that was unexpected to me. Okay? So maybe, it, like I said, maybe it isn't to you, uh, but it, here we go. All right? So we're going to begin reading in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. Okay? And I'm breaking it down a little bit as we go, but I won't spend a whole lot of time. So if you run into words or phrases that you don't know or that you don't understand, first of all, you feel free to get with me after, and I'll break that down even more. Or right, just make, jot a little note down for yourself, and uh, and then you can look it up, right? So that's Bible study. And so I know that we can't break down everything that's in here, but I'll give you enough, to I think, to get to the logic I think of what God, God is trying to show us today, all right? So this is Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the oracle, or your translation may say burden, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. And this is what he says. How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and thou wilt not hear? I cry out to thee, violence, yet thou dost not save. So this is the condition of the prophet in his day. He feels, he sees the world. Remember Perry was talking about that at the inspirational moment. He sees the world the way it is. And he was living in Judah. He was living in Jerusalem. He was living near God's people. And so it was God's people and he was seeing amongst God's people this. Okay, and I'm going to go on. Three, why dost thou make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous 
Therefore, justice comes out perverted. So basically he's saying the condition of the, of the land around me, the city around me, the people that I see, is there are more wicked people than there are righteous people. They outnumber the righteous. The good people are outnumbered by the bad. They're surrounded and sort of being trapped or forced into certain situations. And so they maybe rule the government. They, they rule lawmaking. They're, they're the police or whatever. And I'm not saying that's the way it is in our world necessarily. That's that's on you and your own situation, what you see. But what I am saying is, in Habakkuk, the time had come where there was more wickedness perverting justice than there were righteous people able to uphold justice. That's what he saw. Okay? Five. He says, look among the nations, observe. Now, notice the quotes. Notice, this is now God talking back to Habakkuk. So this begins, the, and they sort of have a conversation, but this begins God explaining what he's going to do. Habakkuk's asking, why aren't you doing something? And God says, look, I am doing something, and he's about to explain what it is. He says, look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe if you were told. In other words, if I had told you in advance exactly what was happening, what God was doing in these days, you wouldn't quite get it. You'd go, oh, that doesn't make sense. It's not reasonable. He says, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. The fierce and impetuous people who marched throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. So God was raising up a race of people. I don't want to dwell on that too heavy at this moment because I'll come back to it, okay? But a race of people. This was essentially what's called the Neo-Babylonian Empire. And a, uh, a Chaldean king had risen to be king of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. And God was raising them up to come and conquer his people. And that's what he's telling through the, the prophet Habakkuk, okay? Verse 7, he says, they are dreaded and feared. Listen to this. He says, their justice and authority originate within themselves. In other words, they have their own ideas of what justice and authority are. Okay. Now, they're not godly ideas, although we'll see that in some ways they may be. right? But their justice and their authority originate within themselves. It can't be twisted. It is what it is. Okay. On the surface, that sounds like a good thing. Verse 8, their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughter, a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. In other words, this has been declared. The Chaldeans are going to come and they're going to destroy the Israelite nation. They're going to take captive all the wealth, the fortresses, etc. Of, of what remains by this time of the Israelite nation. Notice we're not quite done. The last part of verse 11 says, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. Okay? So in other words, God's saying, they are going to get it too. After they get done doing all this and serving me, they also are going to face judgment. And later he'll say uh, wrath, but I'll get to that in a second. They also are going to face judgment. They will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. Okay, hold on to that thought. We'll come back to it. All right, now skip to chapter 2. We're going to read verses 9 and 10. Now, we're not skipping all of that because it's not important or valuable. It's all important or valuable, but there's a little bit of summary in these other verses, and so we can kind of we can skim some of it, and that's the only way we're going to get through it in a short period of time. So now we're in Habakkuk chapter 2, and we're reading verse 9. 
Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to put his nest on high, to be delivered, delivered from the hand of calamity. You have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples. So you are sinning against yourself. So here he's talking about the people that are out there that are getting ahead through vile acts, right? So they're, they're using their wisdom such as it is, or their craftiness, or their trickery, or their violence, or whatever, to build themselves up. And he says, woe to that person who does that. Actually, he says, you are sinning against yourself. So when people are hurting other people to get ahead, they're actually hurting themselves more than they're hurting the other people. That's what he's saying. Okay, now skip to verse 16, same chapter. Verse 16 says, you will be, now this is talking to those who are getting up over on other people by foul means. He says, you will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourselves drink and expose your own nakedness. And he says, the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. So we take that backwards. Your glory is your light or that, that makes you look good, right? So he's saying utter disgrace will replace or come upon or trap your glory. So you think you're good. You think your, your house is nice or your vehicles are nice or you're doing a good job or people are getting you praise or whatever you think that. Well, here's what's actually going to happen. You're going to be in utter disgrace because you're trying to get up over on, on top of other people by wrong means. Before that, he said, the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. Does anybody know what the cup in the Lord's right hand is? Not a rhetorical question I'm asking. You know what it is? It's the cup of wrath. It's the very cup that Jesus Christ said, will this cup be taken away from me? And we now know where Jesus is, right? At the right hand of the Father. And so when the cup of wrath is now extended toward you or I, Jesus isn't interceding for us, right? So he said, the cup of wrath will come around to you. In other words, you will face God's wrath for what you are doing. See, when people are doing what they're doing, and they, get, they think they're getting away with it. They think, well, it's never going to come back to me. God's never going to shut me down. I'm doing fine. Or, you know, bad things happen to everybody all the time. So it's okay if I do all these bad things to get ahead, but God's not going to stop me. And even we hear it in, in Habakkuk's original words, right? Why are you not stopping the wicked? That's what he said. And now we see that the cup of wrath will come around to them. All right, that was 16. Now read 18 and 20 with me. Skipping just one verse. He says, what profit is the idol when, it makes, when its maker has carved it? So they would carve little statues of false gods to worship. And they might have a little statue in their pocket of, of Zeus or Artemis. Or back in these days, it would for them, it would have been Baal or or Asherah, or one of the, the other gods that were in the region around them, pushing in. What prophet is the idol when its maker has carved it, or an image, a teacher of, of falsehood? For its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. You see what the problem with idols really is, is those who are making the idols, those who are lifting the things up and saying that they're good like God is good, those people were trusting in their own craftiness. If there was a craftsman who made a little silver idol of Artemis, for example, and it looked like a little blob, didn't look like much of anything, just a stone, worn-out piece of junk, and he tried to sell it in the market, people would be like, no, that's Artemis? That doesn't even look like Artemis. 
But the person who can craft a good-looking little statue out of silver water, they could get a decent price for it. And these people would say, see, I have a statue of Artemis. I'm going to be okay. Trusting in the craftiness of the person who is not doing nothing but shaping creation to make it look like the way they want it to look. And God says, that ain't, that's not going to work. I'm going to pay that back. He said, this is what they're doing. They're just trusting in their own handiwork. Fashioning speechless idols. 19 says, Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake, to a dumb stone, Arise. And that is your teacher? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. How can that be your teacher? Right? And the same could be true of modern idols. When people make something out to be important and they let it interfere with their relationship with God, Say, how can that be your teacher? For those who are, I mean, they're at every professional football game of their home team and they wear all the memorabilia and they're totally into all of that. And that essentially is their God. God would say, how can that be your teacher? How are you going to get anywhere that way when you have something that you're so set on that's not me? And verse 20 says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You know what that verse says? Shut up. God's got something to say. That's what it says. It says, shut up. God's got something to say. That's the message of Habakkuk in verse 20. All right, now I'll go to 3, chapter 3. We're almost done with the main text for the day. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, I'll read. And, and, and verse 1 is just more subtitle. It's a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shagianoth. All right, Lord, I have heard the report about thee, and I fear O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Notice, as we, are, as your, we your people face this wrath for being a people that are trying to put something else up like you, that are wicked and trying to get ahead by wickedness, as we your people face this wrath, remember mercy. He says, God comes from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Salah. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand and there is the hiding of his power. Before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. Now skip to 16 to 19 as there's more of that. Now we're down to 16 to 19 to end out the book of Habakkuk. 16 says, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress. For the people to arise who will invade us, Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flocks should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. And if any of that would happen, even if any of that would happen, he says, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And here is maybe our key verse for the day. The Lord God is my strength. And he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on high places. 
So I said, I, I got a little confused when I first started to write this sermon. I struggled with it. Uh, lately, I'll, I'm just, I'm being transparent here. My, my sermons take me about four to six hours to write on total. That's generally my average. So I stand before you for somewhere between uh, 30 and 45 minutes, something like that. And it takes me uh, eight to 12 times as long as that to write what I stand here to say. This week took me almost double that because I got confused. I was going to stand before you today and talk primarily about the Chaldeans. You can hear it in the text, can't you? The Chaldeans were a strength of themselves. They were relying on their own strength. They were justice of themselves. And you're like, man, I want to bash the Chaldeans. Don't you just want to bash them? I mean, not like physically, but don't you just want to say, I realize how worthless and how foolish that philosophy was? To come against God's people in their own strength? That's just And I wanted to talk about the Chaldeans and focus on them specifically. But I realized the book isn't, it isn't about the Chaldeans. Even though the prophecy is about the Chaldeans coming to punish God's people on God's behalf, the book is not about the Chaldeans. The message is about God and the fact that God was attempting to minister to God's people and they wouldn't have it. And so now God is going to bring another people to shut that situation down, and to bring people around to realizing what's really important, the most important thing. So that being said then, there are sort of like three points and a conclusion, and Brother Ron, it's a long conclusion. Brother Ron came up to me last week and said, there's three points and a conclusion. That conclusion may be the longest conclusion I ever heard. It's like that again today, brother. Here we go. So, number one. God was going to use the Chaldeans, which is the Neo-Babylonian Empire, to chastise his people for their false devotion. Which means the real problem is the false devotion, right? That's the real problem. If you say you're following God, but you're not, that's false devotion. If you're hypocritical, boy, Jesus was really bothered by the hypocrites of his day. Hypocritical means you're acting something out and you're saying something, but the two don't necessarily line up, right? Or you're acting like you're a follower of the Lord. You're acting like, you're acting like, so that people will listen to you, but the truth is what's in your heart is foul. God has a problem with sinful living. That's a reality. We were once objects of wrath. That wrath is poured out against those who are involved in sinful living. Wrath is not the ultimate destruction of God. It's not fire from heaven like that which destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, right? It's Wrath, it's God's violent opposition. Wrath is not translated as anger. Wrath is God's violent opposition against your current course. God does not like sinful living. That's a reality. If you have sin in your life and you're facing difficult times, you go, I know God told me to do this. I'm not doing it, but I want God to bless me. You're an idiot. Own it. Right? If you know what God is telling you to do, but you're waiting for God to show up and give you miraculous blessings, He's already given you all the pre-natural, pre-existent blessings. You've got the sun, you've got the rain, you've got wherever you live and whatever you sit on and whatever you eat, and you can laugh with your friends. We talked about that last week. God has given you so much kindness and blessings already. If you are not following what you know God wants you to do right now and still expecting Him to pour on the blessings and not expecting Him to send the wrath, then you're an idiot. And I'm not saying you're an idiot. That's for you to decide. I will tell you that I have been an idiot on many occasions. So if you think you can't ever be an idiot, you're probably also prideful and arrogant. Okay? The reality is, God is against sinful living. I was watching a TV show 
with my wife. She likes this TV show a lot. I won't name it. I like it too. But there's some parts of it I don't like. The main characters in the TV show are, are Christian women. They claim to be Christian women. They go to church, whatever like that. And there's a, in this scene where this Christian woman, she's confronting her ex-husband. They've gotten a divorce because he was uh, unfaithful to her. He committed adultery. And so she was obviously within her right to divorce him. She's not really forgiven him. She said she's forgiven him. And this is the scene in which she's sort of working on forgiving him. But she's standing there and she's badgering him and she's telling him how worthless and untrustworthy and a sinner she is. he is. And how he says, she tells him to repent is for you to be, to turn to God and not want to do sin anymore, to not do that anymore. That's what it means to repent, and for you to turn to God and not want to do it anymore. But you keep doing it. You're not trustworthy. Now, mind you, cut away this scene where she's having that with him is literally like 30 seconds after she's getting uh, dressed wrapped in a towel after having sex with her new boyfriend out of wedlock. Understand what I'm saying? So at night, she's sleeping with her new boyfriend. And in the morning at about 11 a.m., she's letting her husband know, what her ex-husband know, what a dirtbag and untrustworthy, not even Christian person he is because he's in sin. This is what people are doing. What we're doing is we're standing around looking for somebody to shake our finger at so we can say, you're in sin. I see you in wickedness. God doesn't like that. When in reality, we have sin in our own lives that we need to repent and turn to the Lord. You don't have time. Let's be realistic. If someone asks your opinion, if if someone asks you to fellowship with them, if you see a sin, God brings attention. You need to bring them to accountability. And God says, I want you, you saw it. I want you to go and talk to them and say to them, look, I think that's sin. Let's try to work this out, figure it out. Then you do that. I'm not saying don't do that. But you do not have time to be sitting around thinking about what somebody else's sin is. In fact, I'm going to say this, that there's already a guy who's got that job. You understand what I'm saying? And he's way better at it than you'll ever be. His name literally means adversary or accuser. That's his job. He was given a name by God. All the rest of you know, the animals, they all got their names from Adam and stuff. And God named a bunch of stuff. But the bottom line is he got his name from God. He is the adversary and the accuser. You ain't even good at it. You're trying to stick your toe in his pool, right? Which, by the way, is probably hot. You don't want it. We are dealing with a sinful living problem. It's not a sin-seeing problem. It's not a sin-predicting problem. It's not a sin-accusing problem. It's not a sin-finding problem. It's not a sin-hunting problem. We are dealing with a sin-living problem. And God says, I will give you the cup of wrath if you want it. Repent and turn to the Lord. God was going to use the Chaldeans, the Neo-Babylonian Empire, to chastise his people for their false devotion. Number two, the Neo-Babylonian people, that empire, the Chaldeans, they would face the wrath of God as well. See, he says, I'm going to use them. They're, They're roaring up. They're getting big. They have their own strength. They have strength in them. They have their own justice. They're coming. And I'm going to let them. And they're going to confront you in your false devotion. Somebody once said that as long as there are tests in school, there will probably always be prayer in school. While Jerusalem was surrounded, and men and women were fighting over who got to eat the dead, I don't mean dead animals, I mean their dead neighbors or their dead family members, You better believe they were being tested. And you better believe they were crying out to the Lord. 
I submit to you that in that moment, many of them probably realized the error of their ways. Hear me now. I was walking into my living room the other day with a cup of orange juice about six ounces full, and it started to fall. And in denial, I lashed out to catch it. I caught it about three times. It doused my briefcase, it doused my pants, it doused the floor. Once the cup of wrap is tipped toward you, you won't catch it. You won't stop the flow of God's wrath out toward your life. If you are living in sin, you need to repent and turn to the Lord and let him be first on the throne of your life because once the cup of wrath tips in your direction, all the, oh God, I'm so sorry, I repent and turn to you, will do you no good. The wrath will pour because the cup has already been tipped. The Neo-Babylonians would face this cup also. Now, in truth, that verse, and I hope you were following along as we read, that verse was actually in the part where it's talking about the cup of wrath toward the Israelites, toward the Jews, right? But we know it's true for them as well because he says so. They too will face, right? They too will be found guilty. They too will face punishment. Someone would argue and say that they would face punishment because they hurt God's people. Now, there's an irony for you. God allowed someone to hurt his people so that he, and then, not so that, but then he would eventually punish them for hurting his people. You know how many times that's happened in creation? We talk about why people sin and people being allowed to sin and so on, things like that. People sin because they have a heart problem. It isn't about an activity. It's because their heart is not right with God. Their creator God, their creator God, made them, gave them the possibility of being saved, gave them the possibility of having his Holy Spirit, gave them the possibility of being clean in him, and then they sinned against him as if they were shaking their fist in his face. You say, well, that didn't happen with people who aren't saved. Yes, it did, because there is plenty of testimony in creation. There is no excuse, Paul writes in Romans 1. But let me ask you this question then. And it's a lengthy answer, so answer it in your head so we, have, so we can keep moving. If the one who conquers you is in turn wiped out, what's the point? If the one who conquers you or overcomes you is in turn wiped out, what's the point? When we fall to sin and temptation, you realize sin and temptation has a time limit. We, fall, we, we give worship to money or we think money is a big deal. You realize that has a time limit. If the one that gets up over your life eventually is completely and utterly destroyed, why are you worried about him? Why are we letting that happen? So the first thing I wanted you to see was that God was going to use the Chaldeans to punish his people, to chastise his people for the false devotion. The second was that the Neo-Babylonian Empire, which is the Chaldeans, would face the wrath of God as well. And the third is our answer. Strength for the real fight is found only in the Lord. Strength for the real fight is found only in the Lord. The Chaldeans had strength of their own. We read that. They had justice and authority within themselves. We read that. They had strength, justice, and authority within themselves. And so by all rights, they had every reason to win. And they were winning, even though they were basically an academic people. Now, the Mesopotamia was full of huge armies, and they had vast armies serving under them, but they were basically intellectuals. Do you know who is the most famous Chaldonian of all time? Chaldean of all time? 
You do, but you don't know it was him. Abram. Do you remember Abram? Abraham. Called out of or of the Chaldeans. He was called out of this very same people. The people who had strength in themselves and justice and authority in themselves. Learned people. People who were seeking something more than just the day-to-day. Spiritual people. He was called out of there. Abram was called out. Go out from that people. Leave them all behind. Now, this has become the epic showdown of the century as the Chaldeans, in their own strength, in their own justice and authority, will now be used by God to chastise the descendants of Abram who were who was called out of who are the Chaldeans. That's something. You ever hear the term rat race? It's kind of getting old now. Most people don't use it. But in the rat race... We're all racing to kind of outdo each other, right? Everybody's trying to get a better job, get a better paycheck, get a better house, get a better car, right? My neighbor, my neighbor got a new car. Oh, look at my measly old car. I got to get a better car, man. I, oh, wasn't that much? Wasn't that expensive? Oh, yeah, 10-year financing. Oh, I can probably do that. And people are racing. That's the rat race. You need to remember that in the rat race, all the rats are running for the rat master's pleasure. In the rat race, all the rats are running for the rat master's pleasure. The followers and descendants of Abram in this story who were living in the promised land, more wicked than right, and the Chaldeans coming out of Babylon in their own strength and justice and authority are both just rats in a rat master's race. The real strength is found in God for the real fight. And I submit to you that God made that obvious to Abram. He eventually calls him to sacrifice his only son, and he says, okay, I'll do it, even though that's the son of promise. I know what you've told me, but I'll do it. And he goes up, and he's ready to sacrifice him, and God said, oh, stay your hand. And God saw his faith that he was ready to sacrifice his only son, and what? Counted it as righteousness. Abram was strong. Abram had justice in himself. He had Everything he needed to be a great Chaldean. In fact, he was good at business. Do you think God miraculously made Abram good at business? Like he grew up and he just, he didn't, he didn't know his head from the hole in the ground. His parents never taught him how to balance a checkbook. His parents never taught him how to make the right decisions or whatever. And just as a young man, he just suddenly learned how to turn 10 sheep into 10,000 sheep. You know, because there were little daisies in the field. And God said, I'm going to turn that daisy into a sheep. I'm going to turn that daisy into a sheep. No, he was a great businessman. He could do what he had. He came out of the Chaldeans. These are learned folks. They knew how to do what they needed to do. They had strength in them and justice in them and authority in them. And he had that. And God said, I want you to turn from your own strength. I want you to turn from your own idea of what justice is. I want you to turn from your own idea of what authority is. I want you to turn from all that. Come out of that people and live separate and different under my strength. My faith. And, and he said, okay, I'll do it, God. And God saw his faith and he counted it to him for righteousness. You've got strength. You've got smarts. You've got ability. You've got personality. You've got creativity. You've got skills and things that you've picked up over the years. And God is asking you to come out of all of that and be completely new and different, a born-again Christian with a God who will supply the strength for the fight that's real. The real fight. The unseen fight. The strength of God is for the real fight. 
And then we come to our conclusion. So let's get the points real quick. Number one, God has a problem with sinful living. And the truth is the cup of wrath will pour. You can't stop it. God was going to use the Chaldeans to punish, chastise his people. You could, in some sense, say they were representing the cup of wrath. But the Neo-Babylonian Empire, the Chaldeans, would face the wrath of God as well. All of this is because strength for the real fight is found only in the Lord. Just like he would say, the craftsman who makes the idol is trusting in his own craftiness. Whatever is good about you that will get you through your trials, God is asking you instead to get your strength from him. So my conclusion for you, or for me, I guess, if you don't want to take it on, I'm asking you to join me in being the scrawny little scrapper in the room. I'd like you to join me in being the scrawny little scrapper in the room. Abraham was from Ur and was asked to step out and be completely different. You remember the story of David and Goliath? Man, he's a great marksman. I I read a line, somebody said, you know, give David some credit, but at the same time, that sling he had was about like bringing a forty-five caliber pistol to a a spear fight. I'm going, yeah, in the hands of a ten-year-old boy, or however old he was, even if that's true, which I don't think it is, don't belittle the fact that David was the scrawny scrapper in the room. Why did God defeat Goliath through David? Because as he was going out, and as the army of the Israelites was standing there in their armor, trained, skilled warriors, many of them, not all, many of them were levies, but trained, skilled warriors standing there with spears and shields and missile weapons and whatever, they're all standing there with their knees knocking in front of Goliath every morning for for over a month. And David goes out with a sling, the scrawny scrapper in the room. Here's the funny thing about Satan. He doesn't get the scrawny scrapper mentality. When you go out as the scrawny scrapper, he's going to laugh. He's going to say, he's sending out a boy against me. And he's going to say, ah, shield bearer, you can just stay home. I don't got to worry about it. Overconfident that he can conquer Christians. Christ in us conquers him every time. There was a young man. Uh, he became older by the end of his story, but his name was Benaiah. He was Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. Anybody know his story? You will as soon as I say it, probably. Go, oh, that sounds familiar. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was one of David's great men of valor. He was in the top. 10 to 12 most powerful men recognized in Israel in David's day. He's the man who went down in the pit after the lion when it had snowed. Fought and killed the lion with his spear in a pit in the snow. That's that guy. It also says to his credit, he killed two great heroes of the enemy. You know what his job was? Does anybody know? He's a musician. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and let's be realistic, right? Because you get some beating going with the drums. This guy, he played a stringed instrument. See what I'm saying? He's the, he was the scrawny scrapper in the room. 
He set out to serve God, and God made him one of David's mighty men. He went down in the pit in the snow with a lot. First of all, lions and me in the same room, I'm like, no. I don't want to be in the same room alone with a lion. It was a guy for, at Barnum and Bailey Circus. He had been a lion tamer for over 30 years. Most of those lions ain't got teeth, you know what I'm saying? He could put his head in the mouth. He had so much bravery and courage that he could take the lion's mouth and go like this. And he put his head, his entire head, inside the lion's mouth in front of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people all across the nation. One day he's in Florida. He's training the lions. And he's got the chair and the whip and he's doing his thing. And he sets it down. And he turns around to answer his cell phone or whatever, gets distracted. And the lion jumps off the chair and rips him from his head to his toes. He never did lion taming again. The guy can't walk. I'm not messing with lions. You know what I'm saying? A lion cornered got to be worse than a rat cornered. A lion in the snow in the pit. And the bass guitarist jumps in with a spear and kills it. What? Join me in being the scrawny scrapper in the room and find your strength in God like we could say Benaiah, we could say like David, we could say like Abraham. The father and founder of the Israelite faith. The people were supposed to... When the Israelites invaded the promised land, it was said that one Israelite man was as good as 20 enemy warriors. But if they went out with a 1,000 guys, they could take an army of 20,000 guys. Right? Most of them had spent their whole life wandering in the desert. Not... Properly nourished, unless you count manna, which they ate every day, all day, all they ever ate. And they got some quail. That made them sick. Then they got over being sick. Right? They weren't warriors. So, well, they, they trained. They trained every day, eight hours a day. No, they didn't. They were wandering in the desert. They spent a lot of their time complaining, right? But they were good for 20 men. One guy, and I submit to you, Wait for this. The guy who looked like me, good for 20 men. Scrawny little dude, bass guitars, not me, right? I don't think I bring any skills whatsoever of value to a fight versus 20 men. And yet, if I was an Israelite, I'd be good for 20 men. And guys that look like Tony Brister, big, tall, strong, physical, can lift twice or three times my size, or like RJ or like Ricky, Good for 20 men. Not 21. Mm -mm. Because Ricky, working out five days a week, whatever, he couldn't take 20 men on his best day. I'm just being realistic here. Give him a sword and a shield and put him up against 20 other guys with swords and shield. And I know how this goes. I was back-to-back foam weapon fighting in the yard. And I had a guy behind me, young man, 15, 16 years old, spry, smart, strong, quick. And as soon as we started fighting, he abandoned me and I was dead in seven seconds. It's like, bam. And they didn't hit me once. You know what I'm saying? So you don't just go down. You go down shredded against 20 guys. But these Israelite men, as weak or as strong as they were, didn't matter. They were good for 20 men. Why? Because God was teaching them that the strength for the real fight is found in the Lord. Then they get settled. They get a nice house. and They got a nice job and whatever. And they start thinking, the strength for the real fight is found in the Lord. But I'm, you know, I'm making money. I'm okay. I'm fixing up my house and my cars. My daughter's got to get married, so I need a nice big dowry and blah, 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 and all the world's concerns. Every Israelite was as good as 20 men. 
regardless if they were the scrawny scrapper in the room or the big guy in the room, because God delivers his strength to the one that trusts him for strength. Now, just in case, I'm going to try to do this here. I timed myself on what I'm about to do. It took me three minutes and 30 seconds. Are you ready? Here we go. Philippians 4.13, you've heard it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, or, or who gives me strength, right? By the way, it's not things. I always say it, I memorize that way, but the word is actually this. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And the this is to be content in every circumstances. That's what he's talking about. It's not to run for president or bench 400 pounds, right? I can do this. I can be content in all circumstances. Here we go. Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Exodus 15.2. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. First Chronicles 16.11. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face Always. Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 2 Timothy 1.7. In case you thought it was only Old Testament stuff. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Matthew 11.28. Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And Habakkuk 3.19. You heard it first. A little bit ago, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. First Peter 4.11. If anyone speaks, he should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Psalm 28, 7 to 8. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy. And with my song, I praise him. The Lord is his, the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Psalm 118, 14. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And by the way, that is the opening to the passage of the armor of God, 11 through 18, 19, and 20 is prayer. Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 2 Corinthians 12, 10, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Zechariah 4, 6, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Power in you means nothing. We all have some. His power in you means everything. And we get that power by facing the trials of this life in faithfulness, continuing to do the things that God has for us to do. And he fills us again with his power for the real fight. 
When someone comes against you and says something nasty, God's not giving you strength to say something nasty back. God's giving you strength to spew scripture, to pray, to forgive, to go and serve the Lord the way you were supposed to, despite the fact that you were afflicted by their words. God gives you strength for the real fight. Live your life in faithfulness. And in time, we go where fear dares to loom near and we turn our back on that fear. We walk into the presence of terror and we refuse to be afraid by choosing to trust in the Lord. We say, it seems reasonable to struggle, but reason brought us to faith in the first place and now faith has the reins. Behold, what makes you great as a servant of God is what God can do through you to advance the kingdom of God. And more often than not, what you can do actually only stands in the way of what he can do. So many people lift their hand to do the work of the Lord and forget their time in prayer, forget their time focusing on God, forget to sing praise songs as they go, forget to live throughout it while they're doing it. Like RJ said, they spend more time complaining about the circumstances, the fact that they're pushed or can't do what they really want to do, and they miss the blessing. What is the blessing? The blessing is the strength of God for the real fight. The fight is spiritual. We have real enemies, evil spirit enemies, and Satan himself. And they know their end. They know where they will wind up and they want nothing more than to A, take you there with them or B, stop you from living the abundant life that Jesus Christ purchased himself for you today. Times when we rely on our own strength but claim to be relying on his. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ today and you got out of bed this morning and you got out of bed in your own strength, repent right now. If you got out of bed in his strength, praise him. When we beg God, we say, oh God, please. We even say we trust Him to change our circumstances, but do not repent of our sin, which calls out His wrath. That's a lie. That's hypocrisy. That is not Christianity. That is not following Jesus. And it does not equal the great and mighty strength that Abraham was called to. When we call on the Lord to defend us, but we then get up and go to war with our own flesh and blood opposition. In other words, someone says something that we don't like and we come back and think, well, how am I going to get up over this? How am I going to get out of this? How am I going to deal with this? How do I let this go? Etc. Instead of thinking, what am I supposed to be doing in the Lord right now? We cry out to God for help, but we proceed to feel defeated and to complain to our friends and loved ones about what we're going through. God, please help me. I'm sick. I'm hurting. I'm having trouble. Whatever. We cry out for help, but then we continue to complain to our loved ones and to our friends as if God could not be bothered to answer. We share a prayer request and feel better, but we continue to be discontented over the circumstances that we mentioned. We worship him declaring his glory or thinking at least about his great nature. For some of us don't even bother to sing. But then we go out and resign ourselves to silence concerning that same great nature because we're afraid they won't want to hear it. 
We seek to be saved from the effects of sin without being free of the sin. And by the way, free does not mean you will never commit the sin again. Free means you've turned it over to the Lord and will do so again every time. We pray for an angel of mercy without ourselves becoming a messenger of mercy. We see the sins of others without despising our sins. So much more. I will stand before you today and say, while your sin makes me ache, there is a greater sin, the greatest sin, and it will always be my sin, whatever it is. I could tell a little light white lie while somebody else sneaks a nuclear bomb into a, a preschool, and my little white lie is still worse. And when you think that's not true, you are failing to draw on the strength of the Lord. You are failing to recognize that the sins that you are engaging in will bring about the pouring out of the cup of the wrath. Our sins, my sins are worse than your sins to me. And your sins are worse than my sins to you. We face and try to overcome by strength of will or physical prowess or cleverness some problem, and then we do. And we take it all in stride. We're like, oh, I did it, yay! Forgetting to stop and praise Him for His mercy and grace. We enter into battle with the enemy daily without the armor of God. Because you're not bothering to study. You're not bothering to know the gospel of truth. You're not bothering to believe. You're not bot. You just go, oh, here I go, rushing out to war. I'm going to go do it again today. Make those few bucks that float on the bottom line without putting on the armor of God. We think to ourselves how good God is. And we do that without a plan to practice our spiritual disciplines which have been given to us by God. We engage in spiritual disciplines like study, worship, etc. without discipline. We don't do it intentionally. We don't know that we'll always be there. We don't know that we'll always be doing it. We don't know how much time we'll spend. We don't keep track of the things that God says to us. Almost done. We attribute great value to some aspect of creation. I like a little money in my pocket. I like my car to run. I like certain foods a lot. And then we start thinking that that thing will benefit us. When's the last time you were depressed? And did you reach for chocolate? Nothing will benefit you like the strength of God. We go down a road unbidden by God. God didn't send us there. And we go there just because we wonder where that road goes. I want to try this out. Let's see what happens. It's not specifically sin. I'm just going to go there and see. But God didn't send us there. And there's no strength from God there. We mourn the loss of resources, which we believe would have somehow made us more able to serve God. We talk about, oh man, my, my health, my strength, my relationship, my money. We talk about that. Listen, if you've lost something, if God has allowed you to use it, I'm sorry, if God has allowed you to lose it, then your losing it has actually made you more capable and able to sing and sing to serve in the kingdom of ants, not less. <laughs> Isn't it? I've had people come to me on a number of occasions and say, if only if I could quit my job, I would serve God more. And I know it's not true. I have myself thought, well, if I don't have this health concern, I could have a few more hours in each day if I didn't have to. I think more clearly if I didn't have this headache. Listen, if you didn't have your troubles, you'd be less able to serve God than you are with your troubles in your life. Because the strength, the real strength for the real fight comes from the Lord, 
not from your body, not from your city, not from your government, not from your money, not from your friends, not from your ability to time manage or your scheduling capabilities or your problem solving capabilities, not from working out, not from eating right. Your ability to fight the fight that God wants you to fight can come from one place alone, and that is God himself. The title of the sermon is a little tongue-in-cheek, isn't it? God's not into bodybuilding. 1 Timothy 4.8 basically says, you take care of your body, there is benefit in that. You take care of your spirit, look toward the Lord, there you'll find your strength. Amen. But are you going to get out of bed tomorrow morning and adjust? Having turned to the Lord, you're going to get out of bed tomorrow morning and say, Lord, I need the strength to do what you have told me to do. And facing affliction, persecution, I need to be found doing what you have told me to do. Why do you think it was so poignant to them when Jesus said, but when the Son of Man comes again, will he find faithfulness on the earth? Because in that faithfulness, in the midst of trials and tribulations and persecutions and struggles and afflictions and anything else you can imagine, that faithfulness in it is found the strength. Praise King Jesus. If you're here today and you have not submitted your life to the Lord, you're not saying, okay, Jesus, I need you to be Lord of my life because I realize I've been doing this in my own strength and I realize I'm putting myself in line for that cup of wrath. I realize I'm not going to spend eternity with you because I haven't allowed you to make that so. Then you give your life to Jesus right now and you say, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, it thinks you've already done it. What you said before, it doesn't matter. You give your life to Jesus right now and you say, okay, Jesus, I'm for you. Now let's you and me do this. You show me, Jesus. You lead me, Jesus. You empower me, Jesus. If you're here today and say, I've already done that. I am a follower of Lord Jesus Christ. I know who he is. Then you know based on the book of Habakkuk, that God does not want your false devotion and it will not equal strength from God, but rather wrath from God. And you repent and turn to the Lord and you give him your earnest devotion. And yes, you practice your spiritual disciplines. Read your Bible, pray, worship, fellowship, serve, give. Learn from your Bible the things that you're supposed to do And then do them in a disciplined way. Because that's what we're supposed to do. And if you have strength in yourself, and a lot of, I look around this room and I see a lot of like capability, right? Training, skill, physical strength, youth. You have that. You have to put that in the hands of the Lord and let him use it for what he wants to use it for because he's going to give you something on top of it that is better than what you have. Strength for the real fight. Listen to me and this will be my final statement. If you ever should find yourself alone in a room with a demon, don't try to wrestle it. You'll lose. If you ever find yourself in a a room alone, and probably none of us ever will, with Satan himself, don't go to fisticuffs or draw an AK-47 or whip out a knife. Those things just won't do it. If you think there is one chance in an infinite number of chances that you may ever arrive at that situation, I suggest you start now, garnering the strength of the Lord and be prepared 
for the real fight. And when Jesus comes again, there'll be no more fight. It'll just be, did you follow me? Did you live for me? Did you love me? I know you. Come in. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's where the strength is found. To walk the highway of holiness and through the gate of heaven. It's found in faithfulness to the Lord under all circumstances. But the strength of the real fight is in Jesus. I ask the praise team to come forward at this time. We're going to have a closing hymn. If the Lord has laid something on your heart, then you, you speak up. You let us know what God is doing in you today. All right? If you're accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the first time, you come. You need a church home and you want this to be it, you come. You want to be baptized and you're the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know that's the right thing to do, you come. God's calling on you to do a specific thing. Say, God wants me to start this ministry, or God wants me to witness to this specific person, or God wants me to give up this specific sin. Then you come. And you stand right up here. And this is not the front of the room, this is just a part of the room. You stand up here and say, This is what God is doing. Would you stand with me as we sing this song? But if you're responding, you don't need to sing, you just come on. seem like that necessarily, but a word of comfort. If you continue to um, walk in your own strength, do it by your own cleverness, if you continue to not draw your strength from the Lord after having been saved, this has been my experience. If you continue to do it your own way rather than to allow him to pour into you, my experience is, and it's supported in the New Testament, that God will remove that barrier for you. He'll take care of it for you. So if it's your strength, if it's your cleverness, if it's your personality type, if it's your skills, if it's your money management ability, whatever, if that's what's standing between you and faithfully following the Lord, God will remove it for you so that you can faithfully follow Him. Now you say, but I don't want my cleverness removed or my strength removed. But that has been my experience in every case. He'll do it for you. 
if that's what it takes. Now, I've also seen people, and I cannot say that I am one of them, uh, who have seem to have always faithfully placed all of their resources on the table for, to use. I have tried, and I intend to try, and continue to try, and continue to try, and I think that's what God asks of us. But God has multiplied strength. He has multiplied wisdom. He has multiplied prosperity. He has multiplied health. He has mu- God has done that on many occasions for folks who say, I'm not going to let anything. Abram was already somewhat wealthy when he left home. And he would have always become wealthy, but God asked him to have another kind of faith. A faith that draws its strength from the Lord. And that's what God is asking us to do today. To have another kind of faith rather than a a reasonable understanding or I believe beyond a reasonable doubt or whatever, right? But a faith that draws our strength from the Lord alone. And I'd ask you to join me in that. Uh, Deacon Tony Brister, would you pray for us as we close out then? A reminder, uh, there is a membership meeting today. It should be brief because there's only one thing we have to talk about. But everyone is welcome to stay and everyone is welcome to have input on that if you want to. There'll be like a four or five minute break and then we'll come back into this room and we'll have an opportunity to discuss things. Uh, uh, the, the thing that's on the agenda is the mission calendar for this next 12 months. So it's going to be the, the plans and the dates for what we're going to do. And assuming we approve that as a body, that's what we'll, we'll know what we're going to do for 12 months as far as activities, getting on community and things like that, at least the primary plan. Okay, so that's going to be talked about at that meeting, which again, will be a short break and then we'll come back together. All right. Deacon Tony Bristol, would you pray for us, please? Dear Father, Lord, thank you for uh, another day, another place, uh, for this place that we can come to to uh, assemble as your people, to sing praises, to hear what you have to say to us, to your, to our pastor. Uh, Lord, uh, just ask you to help us to chew on the things that we've heard, and ponder on them to you. Basically, to weed out the things that we stop doing and do the things that we need to do. Thank you for the words that were shared. Help us, Lord, to uh, we go through this week for the meeting coming up, that you bless it for the week coming up, that you uh, watch over us, keep us safe, keep us uh, ever mindful that who we are and what we should be doing, what we should be about, what you put us here to do. So. Just uh, thank you for this time and uh, help us, Lord, to do the things that you have to do. Thank you very much. This concludes our service, and in about five minutes, we'll be back in here for that meeting. In the meantime, go you there for and be the scrawny scrapper in the room. Oh.
Thanks again for choosing this podcast by New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. If you'd like to find us online, you can check us out at churchtoledo.com. That website is optimized for your cell phone, so give us a look on your smartphone. You can find our Your Thoughts page there where you can enter some thoughts and things that you've been studying, looking at in Scripture, whatever, and also read uh, comments by others who have been doing the same. If you're in the Toledo area and you need emergency food, there's information there about the pantry at New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church and also the Southside Life Station. If you're looking to donate, you can donate there on our website at churchtoledo.com. You can also donate by texting G-I-V-E to 419-419-0095. That's G-I-V-E to 419-419-0095. You can set up your debit or credit card and give that way. You can mail checks to P.O. Box uh, 962 Toledo, Ohio, 43697. Uh, for Southside Life Station or to 255 Hefner Street, 255 Hefner Street in Toledo, 43605 for New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church. If you're interested in becoming a member of the church, and obviously if you're listening on the podcast and you haven't come to church, you probably have some barriers standing between you and that, but there are ways to get around such things. Check us out online at churchtoledo.com under the Can I Be a Member of New Heights Fellowship link. Also, uh, on our website, then, there is a link for Encourage Me. So if you need encouragement on a more often basis and you like to receive uh, two to three calls or texts a week encouraging you, you can sign up on our Encourage Me page. Anything that's on our website can be used uh, through our call center for the Southside Life Station as well. So if you call 419-242-3340, for the Southside Life Station, and they can let you know what resources are available and how we might be able to connect up with you. Tell Sister Chris I said hi. This is Pastor Dan. Thanks once again. God bless you, and reach new heights in Jesus.